Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. my friends and welcome to idle chatter from the hot rod farmer ray bohax hopefully the sound of my voice finds you healthy safe and happy and that things are going well in your life today and as i've said before and as i always tell my uh, my wife that if you're having kind of a bad day today then i'm quite sure that tomorrow will be much better and you know we need to have those bad days not that I wish them upon anyone, and there's certainly nothing that we enjoy when we're going through them. So I don't even want to say a bad day, sometimes a frustrating day, because then when things do go well, we could truly, truly appreciate it. So uh, just remember, very little to nothing grows in a desert, and it's only nice and sunny, and no humidity, and but there's no rain there also. So the good Lord uses those rainy days and those times in our life to um, make us strong and to also have us appreciate uh, when the weather is good or the the metaphorical weather of life is good. But listen, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a different show today. And what I'm basically going to do is not cover a topic, but because I've been going long on the show... And I try to keep it under an hour, like 51, 52 minutes, because the introduction is actually a little bit more than a minute. And within this uh, venue, you need to uh, watch your time. I mean, even though it's not on radio or television where you have a strict time uh, time uh, break, I should say. But also, I don't want this to be overbearing and uh, have you listen to it for, for now until the cows come home. So I've been neglecting some letters that we've had sent into uh, the Hot Rod Farmer. And I want to be able to uh, cover them. So today's show is going to be an entire special delivery show. So I'm not going to talk about a topic uh, at all I am going to go through I have three special delivery letters here and I chose these three because they are eclectic in nature and I think they would have a lot of value to those of you listening and uh, also I feel that I could do a very proficient job of bringing some information to you in the allotted time frame but I want to thank Firestone Ag for sponsoring this entire show today. And uh, as you know, Firestone Ag is a company that was founded by Harvey Firestone. And he was a fourth generation farmer from Columbiana, Ohio. You know, Harvey always dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors. And his innovative mindset is the core of Firestone Ag today. 
and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar and AD2 technology. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm, trusted only to Firestone. And as an aside to that, I hope to be working on right after the new year on the website, farmmachinerydigest.com, a getting to know article about truly understanding the theory and benefits behind the uh, legendary Firestone 23 degree tread bar tire design. So I'm looking forward to uh, to being able to uh, expose you guys to that technology so that when you go to buy tires you could make an intelligent and informed decision. And as I've said uh, before is that you know, back east over here we had a uh, many years ago there was a men's clothier called Cy Sims and he was a haberdasher you don't hear that term anymore and he was quite uh, he, he advertised quite a bit on television and radio and his uh, ad tagline used to say the educated consumer is my best customer and that was because Mr. Sims was selling a higher quality level of men's clothes and he felt that if the and he and rightfully so he believed that if the consumer his customer was educated on the, uh, what to look for when buying a suit of clothes then they would see the value in his product and uh, and I've as I've said before I stole Mr. Sims tag tagline I think that he's deceased now um, but I stole this tagline, I modified it because I feel that the educated farmer uh, is the most profitable. So when it comes to education, be it in marketing, agronomy, animal husbandry, or in a farm shop in regards to your machinery, education is never lost and that education allows you to be able to make proper decisions and those decisions ultimately affect your bottom line. And I'm hoping that as time goes by that I can really drill that into the audience's mind and I would like to see you guys out there and gals the farm hers and the and the farm guys uh, really pay more attention to things in the farm shop and I want to make your farm shop and your equipment decisions as efficient and as uh, well thought out as your crop growing or your your agronomy or animal husbandry or your marketing decisions so uh as i always say and i you know repetition is is is, is a way of uh just uh, getting people to think that way and that's why i always repeat that so it's not like it's the only thing i have to say trust me my wife knows that but but i really want you to think that way and i'm happy to say that uh in the short period of time that this podcast and website has been up that i do think uh, that I'm starting to have an, a, uh, a a minute effect on people that they're starting to look at things differently. So, and as always, you know, feel free to contact me at Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com with any questions, concerns, thoughts, uh, arguments, whatever you want. Disagree with what I say? That's great. Let's open up a dialogue, and uh, I could learn from all of you. All of you, use that sounds like I'm from New Jersey. I didn't mean to say that. I am from New Jersey. But uh, sounds like I'm from Brooklyn. But anyway, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first letter. And the first letter to special delivery today is uh, from Bob, and it appears that he's in Oklahoma. And this is what he writes. We have several different trucks, cars, and the like on our farm. 
With rare exception have, have I seen that whenever cruise control is used, the fuel economy goes down. I am in Oklahoma, so the hills are not mountains, but we do have some long grates. I have asked many people this question over the years, and even mechanics, and they said that should not be. Can you shed any light on this? I love the podcast you do. Thank you, Bob. So uh, let me just reiterate this uh, and just change his words around a little bit. What Bob is asking is that from his experience with an eclectic group of vehicles, farm trucks, you know, semis, cars, pickup trucks, what have you, uh, that whenever he evokes the cruise control, that the majority of time, uh, he says actually with rare exception, he finds that he gets less fuel economy than when he drives the vehicle uh, without the cruise control. And so basically he's saying that the cruise control is actually costing him fuel economy. So I just wanted to clarify that so you could understand. And then what I want to tell you is that he's a, he, that in almost every instance he's 100% correct. And I will explain to you why. That on any vehicle, when you have the cruise control set, what it basically does, it is, uh, it thinks in one, uh, let me put my tongue back in my mouth. What it basically does, it has one goal. That's the word I was looking for. It has one goal. And that goal is to maintain that speed, regardless of what it has to do. Now, the cruise control actually operates the throttle linkage, the throttle pedal, whatever you want to call gas pedal, uh, depends upon whether it's a diesel or whether it's on a gasoline motor and whether it's on a carburetor or what have you. Uh, Years ago, with the carbureted gasoline engines, what they had was a, a vacuum servo, and this vacuum servo would actually physically move the throttle. On today's modern gasoline engines and uh, modern diesels, because modern diesels for the most part do have a throttle, whereas old pump line nozzle diesels did not have a throttle plate, you would actually move uh, move the rack in the injection pump. But anyway, uh, so the modern engines do not have a throttle cable. So what they basically do when you when you have a modern a modern vehicle, modern tractor, car, truck, pickup, whatever, is that actually when you're stepping on the accelerator or gas pedal, whatever you want to call it, the throttle pedal, is that there's a potentiometer under there. And a potentiometer is akin to like a variable resistor. Think of a headlight dimming switch or think of if you have a dimmer for your for your dining room lights or what have you that's basically think of it as a variable resistor so it varies the voltage or a potentiometer for uh in case you want to know this is a potentiometer always has three wires where a variable resistor usually has two wires so it has the voltage in it has the voltage output and some sort of ground so actually on a modern application the gas pedal the throttle pedal is actually operating a potentiometer and a lot of engineering went into the feel of that pedal so when you were to drive that vehicle that you it would have the feel of a traditional gas pedal with a spring and a cable so there's a lot of engineering went into to duplicate that feel and to make the uh, what we would call in engineering the integration of the technology invisible to the consumer 
So you could get into your brand new pickup truck and you're stepping on the gas pedal and that gas pedal feels uh, as it did years ago for the most part and that is making it invisible but there's no cable. And what's actually happening is there's two potentiometers and it works on a 5 volt signal and one goes 0 to 5 volts, the other one goes 5 volts to 0. And they compare the two voltages and that's a redundant circuit for safety. And what happens then is that that signal from those two potentiometers in engineering, we call them POTS for short, P-O-T-S. So the signal from those two POTS goes to the engine control computer. And then on the throttle, there is actually a little electric motor. And the electric motor opens the throttle plates. So years ago, it was vacuum operated, and then today, currently, it is, whether it's a gasoline or a diesel engine, that usually uses a, um, what they call drive-by-wire, which actually started with aircraft, which was fly-by-wire, and now it's called drive-by-wire for a ground vehicle. So that opens the throttle plate. Now, to get back, it's important that you understand that because the goal of a cruise control system, be it an older one or a brand new one on a 2019 vehicle to a farm truck, what have you, is to maintain that speed. It's got one goal and that and it's going to do whatever it needs to do to maintain that speed. So if you're, let's say, if you have the cruise control set at 65 miles per hour, and you are running down the road, so Bob is running down the road in Oklahoma, it's relatively flat, and he is going to now to pull a hill. And the vehicle is starting to pull a hill. And so the cruise control now starts to see the speed drop off because it uses a vehicle speed sensor. It's, it starts to use, see the speed drop off and it starts to open the throttle more. If you are a good driver, you would you would sense that you're going to have to, and you will do this intuitively, you're going to have to open the throttle too much to try to maintain 65 miles per hour. So you may let the engine stay in its sweet spot and have the speed going up the hill drop down to 62 miles per hour because you don't want to... Uh, kick down the transmission or evoke too much throttle. The cruise controllers not think that way. If it has to mat that throttle, if it has to floor it to keep that 65 mile per hour speed, it will do that. And so that is one of the reasons why it uses more fuel is because what it will do is that it will modulate that throttle to it has one goal in mind to keep that vehicle speed at what you set it at. Now, as an aside to that, back in the old days, whenever you modulated the throttle, uh, for the most part, you would evoke an accelerator pump shot. So a squirt of fuel from the accelerator pump. On a modern gasoline engine or a modern diesel engine, you do not have an accelerator pump because it's, it's it's some sort of injection system. But there is something that's called asynchronous injection, which in essence is akin to a fuel injection version of an accelerator pump. And there's synchronous injection and asynchronous injection. And when you have an asynchronous pulse, what means is that there's more fuel injector pulses, gasoline or diesel, than there are ignition pulses. Now, I know diesel doesn't have an ignition. It looks at the crank, the crank interrupts. And when it's um, 
So that's acceleration enrichment asynchronous. And then when you release the throttle, then it has more ignition pulses or crank revolutions than fuel injection pulses. And then when it's the throttle is steady state, it's called synchronous. There's an ignition interrupt on a diesel or a ignition pulse uh, on a gasoline engine and it gives it one shot of fuel. So what's happening with that cruise control is that unless you are a very, very erratic driver where you're in and out of the throttle and you're always evoking those asynchronous pulses, the cruise control is constantly modulating the throttle and is often evoking those asynchronous pulses when they do not need to be triggered and a good driver will be able to keep the throttle steadier than cruise control and if the and possibly let's say you're going on let's say you're driving in your pickup truck and you're going to pass a semi on the uh on the highway so you move over to the to the uh to the left lane he's in the right lane and there's that little bit of extra resistance from his uh the air that the truck is pushing and you have to break through that the cruise control is going to see that see the speed drop off a mile per hour and it's going to open the throttle it's going to give it more fuel and, and but more importantly evoking an acceleration enrichment pulse and you keep doing that over the course of hundreds of miles is that your fuel economy drops down so to answer his question and to bring this full circle and not confuse you with it and uh, make sense of it is that due to the cruise control having a one mindset or one mindset is that what it does is that it does anything it has to to evoke uh, different functions of the engine downshift the transmission more fuel more rpm unlock the torque converter to maintain that speed whereas a good driver will drive a good driver for who wants to drive for fuel economy will get there just as fast as the cruise control but he'll feel hey you're going up this hill this thing wants to settle in at 63 miles per hour instead of 64 and then on 65 and then he'll keep the throttle constant or she'll keep the throttle constant and the car will go up the hill or the truck will go up the hill and then on the way down you'll release the throttle and then you'll re release the anticipation of the uh, speed climbing from it coasting down the other side of the hill where the cruise control cannot anticipate anything it's going to have the throttle so it's going to come to the top hill lift the throttle and then it's going to see the speed drop off and then it's going to keep going back and forth and what we would call in engineering yo-yoing the throttle plate and but i've written with people who are very digital so in that particular sense that they would get better fuel economy with the cruise control but you should pride yourself on always being able to beat the cruise control fuel economy whether it's with a large truck or whether it's a passenger vehicle or what have you and uh, i have cruise control in my vehicles and i really hardly hardly ever ever evoke it uh, i will evoke it sometimes on a long trip for a couple of miles just so i can move my right leg around and uh, not have to be able to uh, keep that constant pressure but then after two or three minutes I will uh, shut it off and drive drive the vehicle so uh, drive the vehicle properly so in essence that is the answer to Bob's question and sadly uh, other mechanics should have been able to tell you that and uh, it all comes down to the one thought process and the throttle being being uh, oscillated back and forth to maintain that throttle speed and the additional fuel pulses that will, are evoked during that throttle, what we would call a transitioning the throttle. 
Alrighty, so uh, that is that. Now we have another question here, and this is from Brian, someplace in Ohio. And um, he says, I was wondering if you could shed some light on something. I want to buy a new case IH Patriot sprayer, and I am considering the AIM command option. That's the uh, pulse width, the uh, control option, for those who are not familiar with the case line. I do not understand about the pulse width system, uh, about being on and off, and the term duty cycle. I do not want to be an engineer, but I would like to know a little bit about the theory of PWM pulse width modulation. So basically, to more succinctly uh, put his question, no disrespect, Brian, uh, he's considering buying a new case uh, IH Patriot sprayer, which is great. I love when people invest in new equipment on their for their farm. And uh, as I've always said before, remember, it's an investment. It's not a purchase. You're not spending money. You know, you're not spending money. And, you know, akin, and as an aside to that, you know, uh, if you deal with a banker or something, if you go say, I want to buy a new sprayer, you know, in their in their world, buy is spending money. When you want to invest in something, that means you're looking for a return. You're not you're not looking just for to pay for itself. You're looking for a return. So when you so so Brian is looking to invest uh, in a new Case IH sprayer, and I think that is great because uh, whenever you could bring efficiencies to your farm, then that is definitely going to help help your bottom line. And he wants to understand uh, the pulse width modulated circuit. And this is going to be a little bit a little bit longer of an explanation, but I'm going to simplify it uh, as much as I can, and I can make it very, very simple. Basically, in essence, uh, a pulse width modulated circuit, or PWM, is a duty cycle. And what a duty cycle means is that the circuit is turned on and off. And what happens is that there, is there are two main components to any pulse width modulated circuit. And one is a very fast acting solenoid, and the key word is fast acting, the operative words there. And the other thing is the ECU or the brain to control it. And obviously there's wires and there's in between those two. And then, so what basically happens is that the ECU is an information gathering device and it's going to have center inputs and then it's going to make a decision and in this particular instance it's a spray decision to spray to to uh, turn on a spray tip and then what's going to happen is that inside the ECU there is something that's called a driver D-R-I-V-E-R -E and what a driver is you could consider it an electronic switch with no moving parts or you want to consider an electronic relay with no moving parts so it has no moving parts, it's all done with circuitry. And what the driver does is the ECU says, okay, we need to to operate this circuit. And so it actually, and most times when you have a pulse with modulated circuit, the driver controls the ground side of the circuit. That's very important for you to understand that if you ever have a circuit like this and you want to uh, diagnose it, is that it's what we call battery battery looking for ground so it would be in this instance 12 volts 
and the 12 volts would always be going out and then the driver is on the ground side so think of it like you know in the old tv shows you should see morris code like tick 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 and he would be making a contact with a little uh with a little with a little uh switch and he'd move it up and down like a stapler and so long and short pulses that is exactly what a pulse with modulated circuit is it's a digital circuit digital meaning on and off the term analog means that it's a varying voltage and digital means that the signals turn on and it's turned off and what will happen is the driver will control the ground when the ground path is completed the solenoid will be energized and in this particular instance will be open and allow the on a sprayer allow it to pass whatever is in the spray tank to the nozzle to the nozzle tip okay uh, we just had a question about cruise control and fuel injector is a pulse width modulated circuit so that's basically in essence it's the same thing it works the same way it's duty cycled opened and closed but what often gets confusing so that concept of the duty cycle being turned on and off is relatively easy to understand and most people could you know could grasp that without much issue the thing that comes into play is that there's a third component here and the third component is the frequency of the um, duty cycle and the term Hertz H-E-R-T-Z is a term that measures how many cycles per second and this is so the first two parts of the turning the circuit on and off okay you know we want to we want to we go over here we're going to turn the turn the spray a tip on that's going to spray and then how does it alter that it alters that through the ground but there is a, a another element and that's where people get confused so it's hertz hertz is cycles per second and in electronics cycles per second means how many times it gets turned on and shut off and probably the first app now pulse width modulated circuits and controls have been around for many years but the first application that I'm cognizant of other than an electronic fuel injector and that's a little bit different still a pulse width circuit but it's usually not a fixed Hertz signal so we're not going to go there was back in the early 1980s 1981 when General Motors came out with what people would call in the vernacular the electronic carburetor and it had a mixture control solenoid that actually duty cycled and moved up and down the metering rods in the carburetor to control the mixture and I used to teach this and this is the and I'm going to use the same explanation that I used to use many years ago when I taught this for General Motors computer command control uh, carburetors so most duty cycles most not all most and i believe that the case ih patriot system is the same as the general motors carburetor was works on a 10 hertz signal that means 10 cycles per second so now let's not think about it as cycles per second because that's very confusing so let's think of it of cycles per hour because that's easier for you to grasp than cycles per second. Whenever you're trying to think about something or understand the technology, you know, 
move the decimal point over bring it into something larger because if it's too small it's it's very hard for the human human mind to comprehend that and you don't grasp the subject and you get confused so how many cycle how can I do 10 times per second whatever I can't see that I can't measure that you know what I'm saying but you can measure time in hours right so let's this was basically the example that I used to give in my class teaching General Motors computer command control and I'm going to modify it slightly the two locations I'm going to modify slightly for the agricultural community so let's say that you're hauling grain from the bin to the grain elevator and you, you have a young guy who's driving the truck and what happens is that you tell him and we'll, we'll, we'll tell him we'll say it's Ray and say Ray you have to make 10 trips per hour to the grain elevator so from the bin to the grain elevator you that's what I'm paying I'm gonna pay you for 10 trips per hour you can get paid by the trip and you need to make 10 trips per hour not 11 not a 10 trips per hour alright so 10 trips per hour that's our Hertz instead of cycles per second we're saying 10 cycles per second we're gonna do 10 trips per hour so now at the grain elevator there's this very pretty girl working and Ray, the driver, was really interested in her. He's a young guy, she's a young girl, a very pretty girl. And then at the bin on the farm, there's this grizzled old guy that's helping him load the grain. So what Ray does is he says to himself, well, I have to make 10 trips per hour, right? That's what the boss says, I have to make 10 trips per hour. But I really don't want to spend a lot of time with this grizzled old man at the bin loading the truck. So I'm going to load the truck very quickly and I'm going to drive very fast over to the elevator. And then I could spend more time talking to the pretty girl as the truck is being unloaded. And then when I get done with that, I'm going to drive very quickly back to the to the to the grain bin and load the truck quickly so I could spend more time with the girl but I'm still going to make 10 trips per hour but he's going to spend more time with at the grain elevator with the pretty girl than he is going to spend at the bin at the farm with the grizzled old man all right 10 trips per hour so 10 Hertz 10 cycles per second so now let's say the next day the girl is now working at the farm at the bin how that would happen I have no idea but stay with me on this and the grizzled old man is at the grain elevator so now what happens is that Ray wants to spend more time at the farm all right, then he does at the grain elevator so he, because he wants to talk to the girl so what he does is that he still needs to make 10 trips per hour but what he does is he's, he'll be he'll he'll load very slowly at the grain at the farm and then dump very quickly at the grain elevator and run back all right so he's still making 10 trips per hour but what he's controlling is where he's spending his the majority of time and the word duty cycle comes into play so duty cycle means the length of time on a pulse width modulated circuit that it is open that the 12 volts is seeing ground through the driver and the solenoid is energized so if you have a 50% duty cycle that means that the solenoid is open 50% of the time and closed 50% of the time but still making 10 trips per second 10 Hertz 
So now the grizzled old man gets leaves, and now there's a pretty girl at the farm, and there's a pretty girl at the grain elevator. So what happens is that now the truck driver, Ray, spends 50% of his time at the farm and 50% time at the grain elevator because he wants to be able to talk to both pretty girls. If the next day they change the girl at the farm and she's pretty but not as pretty as the other girl, he may spend 30% of his time at the grain elevator at the farm and 70% of the time at the grain elevator. So that is your duty cycle. So if you if he, if the if you consider the grain elevator when the solenoid is open and passing in this particular point the sprayer the whatever is in the spray tank and it's and he spends 70% of its time open then that would be a 70% duty cycle. And if it's the inverse then it would be a 30% duty cycle. So now to apply this is that there is there is a couple of things you have to keep in mind is that the pulse width modulated circuit is being turned on and off like Morse code tick 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 it's going to have a fixed uh, a fixed frequency a fixed hertz and I believe that the case IH system is a 10 hertz signal like a General Motors mixture control solenoid used to be so it's 10 cycles per second and if you want to put more product down so you want that you want more product coming out of that spray tip then the duty cycle will be longer and a hundred percent duty cycle means that it is no longer cycling it's no longer making 10 trips per second it's staying completely open and zero percent duty cycle means it's completely closed so that is a very simplistic way to think about it it's the and so the Hertz is 10 times per second how many trips it has to make and then what you need to do is what you are controlling so if if you're coming let's say um, to the end rows and the GPS says that you're on the end rows what it's going to do is the system is going to shut off the injector 0% duty cycle and the injector is going to be closed and then once you make that turn or maybe 3% or something 5% what have you that means it's 97% closed it's only uh, it's only open 3% of the time and then you make that turn and then you're going back into the field and the GPS system sees that and we want to put 30 gallons per acre on and based upon the mathematics of the flow the pressure and the flow it's going to adjust the length of time that 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 uh, solenoid is open and allowing fuel to a fluid to pass I'm saying fuel because I'm talking fuel injector and you'll keep in mind that that's exactly how a fuel injector works on a gasoline or diesel engine so it is a duty cycle so what you really need to be concerned with is understanding to recap this and make uh, make sense out of it is that there is going to be a Hertz signal how many cycles per second and then the pulse width is pulse width is read in milliseconds which is thousands of a second so if you say that you have a 1.6 milliseconds that means it's open for for uh, 1.6 thousandths of a second not 1.6 seconds 1.6 thousandths of a second and then the duty cycle is basically another way of looking at that. It's the length of time that it is open and not closed. So that is the basis of a pulse width modulated circuit. So to now 
there's other sprayers obviously that are incorporating other systems retrofit systems that work on pulse width modulated technology and i have to say that it is a wonderful wonderful technology it is not overly complicated uh the inputs are complicated for to make the right decision but basically it's a driver and a fast acting solenoid and if the solenoid uh, is responding properly, then it gives excellent, excellent control over whatever you're trying to do. But it is uh, something that you have to keep in mind is that the weak link in those systems historically are that the solenoid could either get mechanically lazy, so it's not returning uh, or it's not either opening fast enough uh, because the magnetics got lazy and it's what they call a very slow rise time or if it gets gummed up or the spring inside because it's a, it basically is it's an electromagnet work against the spring when the ground path is completed through the driver the solenoid lifts up and opens up a pintle or a valve what have you depending upon the system and allows the liquid to pass and then when you remove the ground it's spring loaded closed so they do get lazy over time and depending upon the design of the circuitry and what protection the manufacturer put in it they're usually pretty good today back years ago they were not in the auto industry is that if the, if that solenoid becomes shorted it has the opportunity to actually take out the driver because it's based upon like on an old GM system it was based upon 25 ohms of resistance and if the circuit becomes shorted what it basically does is flows too much current and burns out the driver but you know I don't want to spook you with that that's don't be don't be frightened with that uh, the weak link right now uh, basically would be that if the solenoid gets lazy and it, and uh, doesn't want to respond fast enough but that's years from now if you take care of it so hopefully that you have a little bit better understanding of the pulse width modulated circuit and how it's controlled and in essence it's the length of time that the ground is on and the solenoid is open and that's either on a fuel injector or on a sprayer or what have you an excellent excellent system and just think of when when you think of the uh the grain elevator corn bin story and wherever you want to spend more time but you still have to make so many trips per hour so when it comes to something like that always break always multiply it out make it an hour instead of second and then it becomes very very uh easy to grasp and understand the last question that i have today is from steve in georgia and he says there is a lot of talk about tire pressure and soil compaction the problem being what tire pressure should I run on my tractors and other equipment? The owner's manual gives a range. It is very confusing. Thank you so much. Well, this is going to be very, very simple. Is that first what you need to do is you need to get a load uh, tire load uh, calculation literature book and the but in essence the industry has a standard so the tire and wheel association has a standard and that's what weight that tire could hold at what pressure and i know that firestone has an excellent booklet that they give away for free that has all of the tire sizes and i do want to you know you know establish this that if you go to a firestone dealer and ask them you could go on their website actually and you could see that and print it out or you could just go on firestone uh, i think firestoneag.com if you go to my website there's a link to it farm machinery digest and um 
Facebook.com, and then you could go get the load. Well, I call them load tables. I think they call them something else, and that's industry standard. So even though you could use the Firestone data because it's from the Tire and Wheel Association, even if you have a Michelin tire or a Goodyear Titan tire or what have you, that's industry standard. Just like 9/16 bolt was industry standard, a 14 millimeter bolt. So. And what you need to do is you need to look at how much weight that tire could hold at a given pressure. And the whole idea in simplistic terms is that you want to be able to use as much of that tread bar to contact that soil. Because if, if you have more of the tread bar, and that's going to be influenced by the weight of the machine and the weight of the load it's carrying and also the tire pressure. So it's a combination of what we would call in engineering degrees of freedom. There's three different variables, three different things that you could adjust. So the idea is to have the most tread touching that soil, because if you have the most tread touching that soil, then the amount of weight per given area, whether you want to say square inch, square centimeter, what have you, is going to be less. If you only have a little bit of tread touching it because you have the wrong inflation to, uh, in the tire uh, pressure, then that's going to impact the compaction and the amount of tread. But now also keep in mind that when you are actually have the air in the tire, it's actually lifting, it's lifting a lot of the weight off the tread and it's lifting it up and keeping it suspended. So that is why it's a combination of the uh, the weight and the air pressure because you want to be able to suspend that weight and, and have the air hold that weight off of that tire for simplistic terms and also you want to have enough air for the weight so the tread bar is completely touching the soil. To answer your question, Steve, this is very simple, but what you're going to need to do, and this is the only accurate way that you could do it, is you're going to need to talk to your tire dealer. I know that Firestone Tire Dealers do this, and I'm sure other, other dealers do also, in all fairness, is that you need to have a relationship with your tire dealer, and you need to have him come to your farm or bring your equipment to him. It's usually best for them to come to your farm or they'll actually lend it to you, and they will lend you scales. And what you need to do is we're going to use a tractor for, for, for simplicity's sake. So you're going to need to put this tractor, drive it up onto the four scales, be just like we used to set up race cars that way. The only thing these scales are heavier, you could hold more weight. Is that what you need to do is drive the tractor onto the scales, and then you're going to say, okay, for this size tire, and for this weight per axle, and the scales you could read the display and see how much it weighs, I need to have... 18 pounds of air making up a number all right 18 pounds of air so when and you look in that load book and said for you to have the proper uh proper tread contact pattern tread bar contact pattern and support this weight for this weight you need 18 pounds of air so now what you do is you take a notebook and you write down say tractor by itself 18 pounds of air so now what you do is you go and you hook up your planter because what is going to happen is that even though you have a pull-along planter, it's not on a three-point hitch or what have you, you'll go, and that's why you need the scales, you're going to affect the weight distribution on that tractor. So now you hook up the planter and you drive back onto the uh, scales. And what you may end up doing, depending upon how much road time you do with that tractor, you may have the planter lifted up 
and now read the scales and looking back into that load book and say, okay, when I have the planter and transport mode, I need to have, um, th again, again, I'm throwing numbers, 22 pounds of air in the rear tires and 18 pounds in the front tires. And then what you do is you'll put that planter down and then you'll see how the scale, how the weight distribution changes. And then you'll say, okay, and you write that down and then you'll say, alrighty, when I have the planter down and ideally you should try to simulate the load that the planter would have uh, with, um, you know, with the fertilizer in it and with the seed if possible or close to it and say, okay, with the planter down, I need to have 21 pounds in the front and 19 pounds in the back. And then you would do this with all your equipment. It's really a great winter project. Uh, it is not hard. It's tedious because you're going to be going on and off the scales and you're going to be hooking up the piece of equipment and you say, okay, I got the grain cart. What should I do with this and what have you? And you could do this with all of your equipment and most tire dealers. And I know that, like I said again, because uh, I know because I actually went to an excellent class on this for Firestone. It was uh, when upstate New York and Brad Harris, the engineer from Firestone, went through all this and we actually... Uh, we actually was at a, uh, a Massey Ferguson Steiger dealer, and we actually took a tractor and we hooked up a hay rake to it, and we hooked up uh, a, a something else to it, and we and we just documented all of this. And once you write this down in a book, once you write it down in a notebook, you say, okay, I'm going to. Um, the field cultivate with the field cultivator i need to have x amount of pounds in the front tires x amount of pounds in the rear tires and then you have it written down and you go from there and uh and it's a one-shot deal unless you change something and it'd be based upon the tire size that is on the tractor so to recap this to make uh to make it easy for you to understand is that don't feel uh, uh, confused Steve in Georgia because the booklet gives you a range but the missing link is you don't know what the load is on that tire and the only accurate way for you to do this is to borrow the scales write it down and once you borrow the scales unless you got a new piece of equipment and a uh, new piece of equipment then you don't uh, that doesn't change I mean, unless you change the tire size, so uh, that doesn't change. So the thing basically is it's a one-time deal, and most tire dealers have scales, um, and lots of times they'll actually come and send the technician to work with you on it. It's not as time-consuming as it first appears as long as you... Uh, you know, do some homework and say, okay, you know, I want to hook up the planter, I want to hook up this, uh, whatever, sprayer, if you have a pull-along sprayer, I want to hook up uh, the field cultivator, whatever it may be, and have that all easily accessible. Then you drive onto the scales, and you, you do this with your sprayer also. And uh, if you have a self-propelled sprayer or anything else, you could do this with your combine. So uh, the fact of the matter is that you could do this with anything uh, as long as the scales could take that weight. But it's very, very important. I commend you on that because, you know, the soil is the lifeblood of your farm. And if you go and you have the wrong tire pressure, you're actually compacting that soil to a much greater extent and not getting the full benefit of that tire. And I strongly suggest that everyone heeds this advice. And like I say, it's a great winter time if, if your farm shop is big enough to pull all the equipment in and drive it up on scales. And it's, it's actually, uh, you know, put the music, hey, put my podcast on and listen to that, right? I mean, put the music on. It's it's no big deal. Like I said, it's more tedious driving on and off the scales and then, you know, looking in the book and just assigning the air pressure for that load and for that tire size. So listen, it's Thanksgiving week. 
and I want to wish you all a blessed, blessed, blessed Thanksgiving. And I know that, uh, you know, for a lot of you that, you know, the times are financially hard, and I understand that, and I respect that, and uh, I think that's, you know, that's probably throughout the agricultural sector, and as good as the economy is, there's always somebody that's going to be suffering, right? I mean, even in, in Beverly Hills, there's poor people, and I don't mean that you're poor, but I want to just leave you with this one last uh, thought, is that, you know, look around and be so grateful for what you have if you have your health you have your family you have your farm you'll be able you're able to you know god has blessed you in so many ways and uh you know getting back to my original opening statement that you know that if nothing ever grows in the desert and the thing is that and uh if you are grateful for everything that you have then whatever you have is always enough and I think that if you really do apply that metric and look at it in your life is that you know you have a roof over your head you're you're farming you're ranching you're doing what you love you're feeding the world it's probably the most noble profession out there you're living out near God's creation and you know things are great there's a lot of things to be grateful for and I would rather have you know rather recognize that and once you recognize that and see that you will change your mindset and I'm not saying everyone is that way but so often in life and not just in agriculture in every aspect of business you know you get together with the family for Thanksgiving and you have some guy who works in town he says oh the mill is slow and and I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that but we really need to put this in perspective and we need to know that you know the the good lord is very merciful and uh we need to be thankful for what we have, and there's plenty of people that are in a hospital that are, have someone that's dying, or a person that's paralyzed, or or a young soldier that came back from the war with his legs blown off, and uh, you know, don't tell him that corn dropped two cents. So, uh, and like I say, I'm repeating, and I'm making light of it, but I just, I'm very grateful for you. I'm very grateful for the blessings that I have in my life, and uh, is everything the way I wanted it to be or hoped it would be? No. But I'm healthy, I'm happy, I have a, a lovely wife, and uh, we have a farm, and, and, uh, and it, you know, it's just so, so, so many blessings, and I just want to convey that to you. And also, please look, uh, I will be doing my, my uh, special podcast, and that'll be up hopefully later this week, and that is what to get the hot rod farmer in your life for Christmas, so check that out, and that'll be uh, on the Fran Network along with this podcast and also on Ag Daily, so you have a blessed, blessed day, have a blessed, blessed Thanksgiving, and thank you so much for listening, and I will uh, talk to you next week, bye-bye.